Hey, it's Lizzie. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that if you are squeamish about bugs, this show might make you itchy. Okay, you've been warned. What the actual hell is all of this on the bed? What? I'm actually gonna faint. There's no way. There is bed bugs and the bed is filthy. I don't know what to do. Goodbye Airbnb, you won't be missed. I was wondering if you have seen any of the TikToks of bedbugs in Paris. I have, unfortunately. That's Benji Jones, a senior environmental reporter at Vox. Any faves? There's, I mean, honestly, the TikToks on public transportation, there's there's a video of, of what looks like bedbugs on the Paris metro. And for me, like as a subway rider myself in New York, the thought of having bugs that potentially would suck my blood on a train uh, <laughs> is very disturbing to me. So that, I guess, would be my favorite in like a very um, self-hating sense. Benji kind of brought this on himself, though, because he recently wrote a story about the global resurgence in bedbugs. So it's really his own fault that I called him up to talk about it. This year's bedbug scare began in Paris over the summer, but things really blew up in September. They were spotted in homes, hotels, on the Paris metro. French government officials said they were spreading despair and warned about them on TV. There were even stories about tiny, unwanted hitchhikers hopping into tourists' luggage. Have you personally ever had bed bugs? I was like afraid you were going to ask this. Um, <laughs> I I have, but not in my not in my home. Thank God, I had them many years ago. I think it was 2008 when I was traveling, and it was it was at a hostel. <laughs> so it was at a hostel in Ecuador, um, a, a very common place to get bed bugs, just because they have a lot of people coming in and out. But it was, I mean, it was horrible. Like I I couldn't sleep. I knew in the middle of the night that it was bed bugs, and I woke up with welts all over my body. So I I do have personal experience and I, I hated having to write about this and report on this for a story because it's just, it's gross. It may be gross, but I have to break it to you. Bed bugs are not going away. Despite, or maybe because of human efforts, they're harder to eliminate than ever. Today on the show, before one of the busiest travel weeks of the year, we're going to explain why. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Consider, if you will, the bedbug. The Latin name is Cymex. They're small and flat, about the size of an apple seed. And they have a remarkable history. There are records of them as far back as ancient Greece— Pliny the Younger wrote about them in ancient Rome in 77 AD, and they have always been hard to eradicate. Perhaps worst of all, they feed on only one thing, blood. Really, their primary target is humans, and 
they are especially active in the nighttime hours, which is why we associate them with our beds. And they also can hide in the crevices of your bed. And basically, they need blood meals to survive and to grow. Like many insects, they they molt through different stages of life. This is like ticks as well. So you have like the nymph stage, and then they have to take a blood meal. And then once they take that blood meal, they then like morph into their next stage of development. So blood is very much essential for these insects. And you might hear people complain about having like lines of bites on their body. Um, and that's because they have needle-like mouth parts, like literally like a needle to suck blood. And they're, they, they need to, to hit a capillary, a blood vessel, in order to, to suck up blood. And so they will insert that needle and if they don't find the capillary, they'll take it back out, move a little bit, and insert it again, take it back out, move again, insert it back back down until they find the blood vessel to suck your blood. And that's why you might have a string of bites because they're literally looking for your capillary. Whoa. It's like literally like having a, a, a bad nurse or something that like can't find your, your vein. It's like the same thing, but obviously like insidious. They also are very hardy animals. They, they live for months, I think, that average age range is like three months to 10 months or something. And they can go for a long time without taking a blood meal, which means that they can hang around, which is one of the reasons why they can spread so easily because it's hard to get rid of them. And they are attracted to carbon dioxide. So when we breathe out, they can sense that just like mosquitoes. And they're also attracted to body warmth. So those Hmm. two things allow them to home in on human bodies at night, especially. And scientists don't really understand exactly how they can find us from far away. Because I think there are reports of like bed bugs being in the closet and then them somehow like finding their way to the bedroom or whatever. So I think there's still a little bit of an unknown around how exactly they navigate, but they seem very good at it. They're also very good at reproducing. Benji is going to read us an explanation from entomologists at Virginia Tech and Virginia State. And however prepared I thought I was for this description, I was not. Because when two bedbugs meet and fall in love, it is not all cafes and romantic music and bicycle rides around Paris. It is honestly horrifying. After feeding, adult bedbugs, particularly the males, are very interested in mating. Simicid bugs, which is bedbugs, have a unique method of mating called traumatic insemination. This mating behavior is considered traumatic because the male, instead of inserting his reproductive organ into the female genitalia, he literally stabs it through her body wall into a specialized organ on her right side called the organ of Berlice. The male sperm is released into the female's body cavity where over the next several hours it will migrate to her ovaries and fertilize her eggs. The... Okay, I'm almost done. The traumatic insemination stabbing creates a wound in the female's body that leaves a scar. The female's body must heal from this wound, and consequently, females are known to leave aggregations after being mated several times to avoid any further abuse. So, um, not romantic. Jesus Christ, man. I know. Maybe the ma- the males like it or something, but it's it's pretty bad. Um, and I, the, so traumatic insemination, for the record, is, is something that you see with other animals as well. But yeah, it is a rough experience for female bedbugs out there. Still, d- against these odds, they are reproducing a lot. And so that is something 
<laughs> that should, I don't know. That That is something that is impressive. A single female can produce about 113 or so eggs in her lifetime. So even though it's a really traumatic experience, they are reproducing a lot. And that is why we have infestations. <laughs> I'm sorry for, I'm sorry to put you through that. Okay, you can exhale now. That part is over. What makes them bad per se? Like, is it just that they are biting and that's gross or do they actually spread disease? Yeah, it really is the former. They they don't seem to spread pathogens. They carry pathogens. And there's plenty of research that shows that. But as far as we know, and I believe even like the Centers for Disease Control say this, there, there isn't really a risk of bed bugs spreading any kind of human pathogens that would harm us. So really the main issue with bed bugs is that they are gross, they make us itch, and they make us feel gross. One of the things I was so fascinated by when I read your story was sort of the history of bed bugs. But before we had any means of controlling their spread, how prevalent were they around the world? They were super prevalent. Um, I mean, yeah, I read in in some science papers about just like anecdotally what it was like to stay in in hotels and people described having to get drunk in order to be able to fall asleep because it was just like a guarantee that there would be bed bugs there. And I generally just think about like, the Victorian ages as being an awful time to be alive. Like people didn't really bathe, like you have bed bugs everywhere. So it seemed pretty bad. And I think there were also just reports of people like burning buildings to the ground because they were so infested with bed bugs and there wasn't like a clear way to get rid of them. So I think it could be helpful perspective to realize that like, oh, we have a lot of tools today actually to deal with this, even though it does feel like they're a plague in a lot of our cities. Their population seemed to drop around the, the middle of the 20th century. What happened? Yeah, so really their population decline was directly tied to the popularization of a pesticide called DDT. DDT was used in World War II to control outbreaks of malaria by killing mosquitoes. And they also, and officials also used it to kill other parasites like lice that can spread disease. And basically, scientists discovered that DDT, this pesticide, was also really effective against bed bugs. And so they would use DDT to treat bed bug infestations. Hmm. And it worked really, really well. DDT, this pesticide, was really central to the decline of bed bugs. DDT was heralded as a miracle. Safe to eat, safe to drink, safe to use in daily life. In a public health film from 1947 titled DDT versus Malaria, a successful experiment in malaria control, public health workers sprayed entire Kenyan villages with it. Buildings treated with DDT remain effective against mosquitoes for about three months. The Africans at first are not very impressed. Some are afraid that the DDT will poison them, while others suspect some sort of witchcraft. But like so many pesticides, DDT was later found to be dangerous to both humans and wildlife. It was banned in the U.S. in 1972, and suddenly the leading remedy for bedbugs was gone. When DDT got banned, we had a lot of other pesticides that worked as well, like pyrethroids, which is a class of pesticides. And so the pesticides that we, that we had were actually very effective against bedbugs, even after DDT was banned. And like when I say pesticides, it's similar to the kinds of things that you would put on, on crops in a field because you want to kill the insects that are eating your crops. But then 
what scientists discovered is that over time, in the last few decades, since essentially the, the 90s, bedbugs have been evolving defenses against pesticides. So they've become resistant to a lot of the mm. over-the-counter pesticides that you can buy. So like if you go to Walmart and you want to buy bed bug control, bed bug sprays, those sprays may not be effective against today's bed bugs because they have literally evolved adaptations against those chemicals. Some of those adaptations might be they are able to produce enzymes that break down those harmful chemicals that are meant to kill them. Also, there's been research showing that bed bugs can actually learn to avoid those pesticides by, I don't know, something like in the smell of them. And then there's also some research to indicate that bed bugs have evolved like stronger skin, essentially, like stronger um, skin is not the right term, but basically like an like exoskeleton. The, yeah, exactly. Thank you. The exoskeleton has gotten like stronger in bed bugs and that helps them avoid drying out. So when you use those powders like diatomaceous earth, which are literally designed to kill things like bed bugs or cockroaches, there's some research indicating that some bed bugs at least are, are tolerant to, to drying out, are, are able to avoid drying out even in the face of these powders. So basically like bed bugs have become super bed bugs in a way and, and it has really limited the amount of tools that we have to control them. God, that, that sounds so much like the way m many kinds of bacteria have evolved to evade antibiotics. It's the exact same concept. Bed bugs evolve slower than, than bacteria just because they have slower life histories, but it's the same idea. when we come back. Aren't you excited to travel for Thanksgiving now? How does travel play into all of this? Travel basically spreads bedbugs. So that's, I think that's a really central part of this, the story of the rise of bedbugs is that people are traveling more, especially after the pandemic. Um, so when I think about the resurgence of bedbugs, yes, part of this is the story of increased tolerance to pesticides, more resistance against this key tool that we have to fight them. But yeah, we're also seeing more people living in cities. We're seeing a lot of people traveling after the pandemic. And you're also seeing this rise of Airbnb. And I think together, travel plus more people in cities plus this tolerance to pesticides is really making bedbugs have a moment right now. So let's talk about the the solutions. And they seem to be kind of like on the individual level and then on the community level. I mean, Slate just ran a piece about um, keeping your luggage in the bathtub if you're traveling, which, yeah, sure, that totally makes sense. But that is not a population-wide solution. So this is the most interesting thing to me, which is just that we do have tools to control bed bugs. They're just expensive. So heat, for example, is very effective at killing bed bugs, and it doesn't seem that they are able to evolve tolerance to extreme heat. So if you heat a room or a piece of furniture or your suitcase to, I believe it's like 113 degrees Fahrenheit for some period of time, that will kill bed bugs and their eggs. You can also just pop it in the dryer, which is hot enough to kill bed bugs and their eggs as well. So heat really works. The problem is that heat is expensive if you want to have someone come into your apartment to treat your furniture or to treat a room in your apartment. Like that's not, that's thousands of dollars. It's not cheap. And there also are some chemical treatments that work. But again, you have to hire a professional exterminator to come to your place to fumigate your apartment, to use a combination of chemicals to treat bed bugs. And, and the price of that can be prohibitive for a lot of folks, especially in lower income communities. And that's, and it's in those lower income communities where you see more of a bed 
more of a bed bug problem. And one of the researchers that I talked to described this as kind of a reservoir for bed bugs. And until we make bed bug treatments more affordable or subsidize it in some way for these lower income communities, it's really hard to stamp out bed bugs like population wide. Because if you're in a city like New York, where I am, where you are, there are pockets of the city where bed bugs are a bigger problem. So even if the two of us or, or people who are not as low income can treat their bed bug problems, they might still spread from other parts of a city. If you are about to get on a plane or a train or a bus next week and we have completely freaked you out, Benji says, do not lose hope. I would say the number one thing to do is when you get to your hotel or wherever you're staying, check the mattress. You're not just looking for the bed bugs themselves, these apple seed size insects. You're looking for little brownish red stains because those stains indicate that there are bed bugs there. The stains, and this is very gross and I'm sorry, the stains are basically the poop of the bed bugs. So they're ah! like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really gnarly. So they're like sucking our blood at night and then out the other end is some of the hemoglobin and it leaves these little stains on the bed. So that's like your first big literal red flag. <laughs> if, if you get into a hotel and there are little red stains, like you want to request a different room and, and potentially want to stay at a different hotel. The other thing is like when you are home, if you are worried that you have bed bugs or might be bringing them with you, Slate, the, the Slate story recommends putting your luggage in your, in your bathtub. You can also leave your luggage outside, take all the clothes out, throw your clothes in the dryer or in the in the laundry and dry them afterwards. And even if you just dry them for 30 minutes, that should take care of the problem. And then if you're really worried about it and you don't even want to bring your suitcase inside, you can get a garment steamer and just literally steam the outside of your bag and the inside of your bag. And that also should kill the bugs and their eggs. And just a note on the eggs, like these eggs are very, very tiny. And so even if you don't see bed bugs, you they might be like, there might be bed bug eggs, which again, very gross, but you you need to be concerned about that too. And then like, I don't know, I, I'm, I live in New York and there's often stuff on the street that I want to take into my home, like books and, and shelves and whatever. And like my boyfriend is very against this idea. But if you are like me and are frugal and want like gems from the street, you should also be very careful not to just bring it into your home, but treat it first. I guess... I'm thinking about this, and n number one, I'm itchy, but number two, <laughs> I think about a mobile interconnected society and the the way we travel and interact. Does that just mean we have to accept some degree of bed bug exposure as an inevitability? I think so. I mean, I think... We, are, we as a society are very intolerant to any kind of insect or animal in our human space. And I, I do think that we have to just get used to that being a reality that we're all experiencing. I don't think that means like welcome bedbugs into our home with open arms. But I think like the panic that that happened in Paris is definitely like not on par with the scale of the problem. I think it's just easy to get scared. But yeah, in reality, like one of the consequences of globalization and the and the privilege of travel is that we're moving things all around. And so let's use the tools that we have. Let's try to make them available to everybody, but recognize that like at the end of the day, we're not going to completely stamp out the bed bug problem in the foreseeable future. Well, going back to where we started, which is Paris, the Olympics are coming up. That has obviously 
concern the government there, but also just seems like a great big bed bug party in waiting. <laughs> I know. It's like the Olympic Village for bed bugs. I think like people, hordes of people are a bed bug's wet dream. And so <laughs> I, I think that it's right to be a little bit afraid if you're going to the Olympics and, and check your mattresses and so forth. But I also know that Paris is very aware of this problem. And if anything, they're like taking it more seriously than more pressing social issues. Um, so I don't think people have a lot to worry about. Is there any evidence that climate change has contributed to this? I mean, I know it certainly has affected the, the life cycle of ticks and has contributed to the growth of Lyme disease. Is there any effect on bed bugs? It's a good question. I actually looked for this when I was writing the story and I didn't find anything conclusive. So you're totally right. For a lot of insects, it's affecting their distribution. It means that mosquitoes can go to higher elevations. That's a big problem for wildlife in a place like Hawaii because mosquitoes are in new territories that birds have not adapted to their to malaria and so forth. Ticks are also expanding northward in North America because of climate change, basically like unlocking new ranges for them. When it comes to bedbugs, it's a little bit hard to say. So extreme heat and extreme cold are both bad for bedbugs. So you hmm. might see them able to withstand winters more easily in some areas because it's not so cold anymore. But on the flip side, some areas might be much hotter and that will kill them too. So I really think the jury is still out on whether they're going to increase in climate change or decline. So it, it's just, it's pretty hard to say at this point. And also like, I had a really hard time finding very much evidence for anything bed, bed bug related, let alone the impacts of climate change. So I don't think this is like a particularly well-studied insect in terms of its ecology. Which is so strange, given that they've been with us for thousands of years. Yeah, and like the, the pest control industry is massive, and there's lots of attention on, on pest control methods. But in terms of the ways that they're spreading, I haven't seen very much at all. Benji Jones, <laughs> I am very itchy, but thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> My pleasure. I, I regret having to learn so much about this, but I'm, I'm glad I got to talk with you. Benji Jones is a senior environmental reporter at Vox. And that is it for the show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell, Patrick Fort, and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong-Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you like what we are doing here, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. And a Slate Plus membership makes a lovely holiday gift. All right, we'll be back next week with more episodes. I hope you're not itchy. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> 